Well, as we enter into the harvest season for some of Michigan's major crops, there's no better time to discuss the overall status of our state's agriculture. And frankly, there are no better folks to consult with than the current and past presidents of the Michigan Agribusiness Association, also known as MABA. Chuck Lipster took over the MABA helm from Jim Byram in January. Before that, he served on the communications team at Land of Lakes and before that at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Chuck, uh, always a pleasure to hear your voice. You as well. Good to be with you. And Jim Byram served as the MABA president for 25 years and currently has several consulting engagements ranging from ag finance management to government affairs. And he continues working with the Byram family businesses. And he tells me he greatly enjoys his time with his grandkids when they let him. <laughs> Jim, thank you as well. It's a pleasure that, uh, to be with you, Kirk, and uh, pleased to have you invite me back. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to talk to both you folks. And again, there's no better time to talk about agriculture than uh, now as we enter into the harvest season. Uh, Chuck, some of our listeners may not be familiar with the Michigan Agribusiness Association, so give us a snapshot. Sure thing. So the Michigan Agribusiness Association has about 400 members, and the way to think about our membership are all of those businesses that are along the ag value chain. You know, we've got a couple of farms that are members, but primarily our members are businesses that work with farmers around Michigan every day to help them get the job done. So thinking about a few of those Ag retail is a really important part of our membership, and those are local businesses you're going to find in communities around the state of Michigan. They're integral to selling farmers seed and fertilizer and chemistry, and then advice, agronomic insights and technology to help them do the very best they can on their farm. Uh, we have most of the grain handling uh, capacity in the state of Michigan, so those are grain elevators you see dotted around the state when you drive around. Again, integral to the supply chain getting product from a farm uh, and then onto some type of logistical pathway to an end user, again, helping the farmer be successful. And then we have a whole bunch of other industries that surround agriculture, whether that's truckers or short line railroads, CPAs, attorneys, our utilities in Michigan are members of the Agribusiness Association. It really highlights all the different things that come together to help agriculture be successful and all those different segments make up portions of our membership at MABA. Uh, Jim, let's go to you. Uh, 25 years at the helm of the Michigan Agribusiness Association, pretty impressive run. As you look back, what are some of the major developments or changes in agriculture in general and Michigan Ag specifically that come immediately to mind? Oh, I think there's probably three or four, uh, Kirk. First is certainly biotechnology. <clears throat> biotechnology changed the way uh, farmers grow, handle, plant, uh, and make uh, cropping decisions. Uh, biotechnology is not just uh, not just Roundup Ready technology or herbicide tolerance or uh, uh, the sorts of varieties, but it's also improving the geno, uh, genome of the uh, corn plant and soybean plant itself, and that's been substantial. The kind of yield increases we've seen in corn and soybeans in the last quarter century have been, has been absolutely astounding. And you see it every day when you're in farm country with bigger fields and uh, bigger uh, grain storage facilities. And uh, at harvest, you see it with more trucks on the roads and things like that. So biotechnology clearly is number one. Number two is consolidation. Uh, farms are getting bigger and they're getting smaller. 
Uh, on the consolidation side, those that are dealing with commodity crops, corn, soybeans, wheat primarily, uh, dairy production, pork production, turkey production, they're all getting larger and larger and larger because there are cost efficiencies in those kind of production systems. But we're also seeing this trend towards smaller producers that are very specialized, the micro specialty crops, produce specialty livestock or whatever it may be. But the biggest, uh, biggest change has been consolidation, the percentage of farmland that's controlled by fewer and fewer producers. Third thing that's happened is also the consolidation in agribusiness. Uh, when I started in the business, and I'm not going to say how many years ago it was, but it was more than 25, uh, there were probably 15 to 20 pesticide companies in the countryside. Today, we're down to five or six, basically a handful. Uh, fertilizer companies, same thing. In fact, I think it's like 70% of the potash used, uh, 60 to 70% of the potash fertilizer used in production agriculture comes from basically one company. Uh, nitrogen, same kind of consolidation, not that intense, but uh, certainly it's the same kind of trend. And I think finally uh, what we're seeing, and I think this is very, very important, is we are seeing a generational shift among those producers. We're seeing uh, younger producers take over farms. We always hear the lament that who is going to farm the land. Well, where I live, uh, it all seems to get tilled. It all seems to get planted. It all seems to get harvested. And that's true across the state and across the Midwest. And that's basically because we are seeing younger folks take it over, which leads to the final and the most important transition, and that's overall technology. The fact that we're doing this interview remotely, all of us in uh, four separate locations, uh, the kinds of things that we do with uh, data collection, data analysis, and using that data to make better management decisions and production decisions is, uh, again, without question, probably second only to biotechnology and the major changes and advances in the industry. Uh, Chuck, first of all, anything that you might want to add to what Jim said? And secondly, in my intro, I mentioned that we're moving into the harvest season for some major commodities like corn and soybeans. So uh, anything to add to what Jim said? And what is the outlook right now for fall harvest? Well, first of all, I don't think we can put too fine a point on technology. I think Jim nailed it. And I think importantly, you're going to continue to see new advancements. And, you know, one of the challenges we face as an industry, and this isn't just true in Michigan, as Jim mentions, it's true across the Midwest, is how do you make sure that uh, folks out there understand how modern agriculture runs, what a modern farm looks like, uh, what an agronomy facility is and what they do, uh, and how different segments of the, of the value chain function. Uh, it's a big challenge. And, you know, one of the things that, that we're consistently engaged on, trying to be sure that we're out there being proactive and educating, you know, not just the public, but uh, those in Lansing and policymakers in, in local communities about uh, the agricultural economy in our state. But I think technology remains absolutely pivotal to everything we do. And it's also the biggest challenge we have in terms of uh, telling our story and, and educating those who might not be part of agriculture about how everything works. Um, looking at the year, you know, it's been a, it's been a real year of, of ups and downs. Uh, and, and I'm not referencing the the uh, COVID crisis as much as to your question, uh, Kirk, talking about what we're seeing out, out in farm fields. You know, we started off uh, in a really positive place and then, you know, had some weather issues, some in particular dry weather uh, across much of mid-Michigan. In a couple spots, though, you had, you know, excess rainfall and flooding that created some, some issues. So I think overall what you saw is at the very beginning of the season, there was a whole lot of optimism and, and even some projections for record yields. That got moderated a little bit in the middle part of the growing season. 
Uh, and now I'd say we're back to a place where people feel like uh, overall yields are going to be strong. You might have taken the top off a little bit from what people expected early in the year. But I think it's really important to keep uh, in context where we were a year ago at this time. The agriculture sector in Michigan and across the Midwest was in nothing short of a crisis with, with excess precipitation and flooding uh, that made a huge dent in uh, farmers' ability to get the job done, in many cases even get into the field to begin with at the start of 2019. That was a real disaster. And this year, I think you sense a whole lot more optimism, a whole lot more um, you know, feeling that there's going to be solid yields out there. There's always going to be localized issues. And I know for many, uh, there are some areas that have gotten you know, too much rain the past few weeks, even a few areas that are still a little dry. But overall, people feel good. And actually, I'd say our biggest challenge will be the amount of product coming off fields and uh, the ability to handle some of those things because uh, crops that come off the field have to get sold somewhere and have to have a market. And that's one of the big concerns you hear out there right now. Well, that's a, a good segue into another question. And you mentioned markets and certainly international markets are important. Uh, I'll throw this first to Jim and then uh, Chuck, I'll follow up. But what about the challenges uh, that we had, particularly in international trade? It's always been important, but over the last three years, uh, it's become sort of a paramount issue. And uh, given the tariffs, given the renegotiation of uh, the, you know, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement and other things, but, uh, where are we with markets, particularly international? Well, what time is it and what day is it? <clears throat> well, unfortunately... A lot of those, uh, a lot of those decisions are determined by tweet today, or they're determined by uh, what the latest, uh, latest affront uh, has been. Uh, the frustration I think uh, that I have when it comes to markets is that uh, we have never seen agricultural trade as politicized as it is today, and people can take that as they wish. But China was our major market. We uh, basically took a two-year hiatus. Uh, they're buying a lot of soybeans right now. They're buying some corn. Uh, we hope it continues, but hope is about all we have in terms of uh, in terms of uh, any sort of predictability. Uh, one would uh, hope that they would have been buying a lot more pork than they have. Unfortunately, the pork sector is suffering because uh, they are not uh, buying as much pork as we'd like them to. And it's also awfully frustrating when you uh, consider that even in Europe, uh, we have some challenges with trade. We still have some tariffs in place around the world. Um, agriculture from the United States or ag in the United States was the model of international trade. In fact, one of the more frustrating things I've seen in my entire career is that this year, uh, you know, and of course it's been mitigated some with all the soybeans that have been moving to Japan recently, but we are real close to being a negative balance of trade in agriculture, which is absolutely unbelievable. And that's awfully frustrating, has to be frustrating, not just for farmers, but for those trying to sell and those that they're trying to predict what things are going to look like, uh, Kirk, even beyond in 2021, 2022, uh, because that's what the real concern is. Uh, when we don't have an election year and folks want farmers to feel good, what are those markets going to look like? Uh, before you hit that one, uh, Chuck, let me reintroduce uh, our guests, our, the current and former presidents of the Michigan Agribusiness Association. Uh, currently at the helm is Chuck Lipstrew. And past president Jim Byram are our guests. We're talking Michigan agriculture. Chuck, uh, anything to add on the trade? Well, I, I don't think we can underscore enough that Michigan agriculture has to trade and export to be successful. And, and we just can't afford a trade policy that's based on surprises. Businesses uh, in our industry 
count on certainty. They count on those established relationships that take, as Jim mentions, years to establish and maintain. You know, it's not just China uh, that we're concerned about. And obviously China, uh, you know, was a was a major destination for U.S. ag exports. But we in Michigan also spend a lot of time thinking about our neighbors across the border in Canada. Uh, we send a huge amount of agricultural product to Canada, and they send quite a bit to us. There's a great two-way re trade relationship there. And in fact, uh, we have members that, do, that have business locations on both sides of the border. Uh, it's really difficult uh, to understate how important it is that U.S. trade policy be based on predictability and certainty and a two-way trading uh, spirit uh, with our customers around the world. And so we've uh, done our level best to be a voice in support of open trade, encourage the administration to uh, try to break down barriers to trade as opposed to, to building them. Uh, and, you know, we've seen some negative news on that front, some positive news. It, it really is mixed. And I think Jim mentioned it really depends on the time of, the, time of day and what day it is. Uh, but we continue to encourage and will encourage uh, the administration to, to break down barriers to trade and, and uh, do everything we can to establish those markets and keep them established. Uh, another big issue, you both have been leading advocates in the agricultural industry for more sustainable agricultural methods and practices. Uh, if I may, uh, on even greener ag, although ag has always been pretty green. Uh, we'll stay with Chuck here for a moment, but what progress have you seen on that front, especially in light of the challenges of climate change and the ever-growing growing importance of our water quality management? The first thing I, I would say is, we talked about this a minute ago, but technology isn't just about increasing yields and increasing productivity on farms, and it does do that. Technology is also giving us new tools to get the most out of every acre, but also make sure that we're doing that with an eye to the air, land, and Great Lakes. And also, I think integral to the, the whole sustainability discussion is, is making sure that we're good partners with the, the communities we serve. And today's technology really allows us to do that, not just farmers, but ag retailers uh, around the state of Michigan are using imagery and modeling in ways that have really never been used before to make sure that when we use critical elements uh, like fertilizer, pesticides, herbicides, things that are absolutely critical to being successful, we're doing those, using those in a targeted way, uh, in a way that's based uh, on both sound science and also incredibly precise modeling. Uh, so I think technology can be applied in a, in a variety of ways, including on sustainability. And the other thing I would say is on the climate uh, discussion, it, it also plays in there. Because we're able to better benchmark what we're doing on farms, what farmers are doing uh, with the land and the advancements that they're uh, enacting um, you know, to, to safeguard the air, land, and, and water, you're also then able to, to show your work and prove sustainability results to people up the value chain who care about those things. So um, everybody from that first level buyer up to food processors, and in some cases, ultimately onto the consumer uh, at the grocery store shelf. And I think one thing we don't talk en enough about in agriculture is the fact that our industry holds a huge amount of solutions on climate change, and we can quantify those things like we never could before. And I think that's going to be a value proposition for agriculture in the coming years. Uh, Jim Byram, past president of the Michigan Agribusiness Association. Uh, what about your take on, you've been a, uh, again, longtime advocate for greener agriculture. Uh, 
advances, challenges? Uh, where, where are we at? Well, I think we're making significant changes and significant advances. And, you know, a lot of the uh, concern uh, regarding sustainability or carbon sequestration or whatever it may have been is a, is a buzz phrase uh, in years past. Uh, what's happening today, I think, that's important is that the private sector is certainly weighing in and they're not just uh, encouraging uh, sustainability in production agriculture in the food system and supply chain. They're demanding it. And uh, I predicted this for some years, and it's happening uh, very, very aggressively right now. The major food companies uh, want sustainability. They want to reduce the carbon footprint of the, of the products that they buy. And they're demanding that producers and the food processors that handle those uh, products uh, embrace, embrace that move toward less carbon and, uh, and actually become sustainable operations. We're seeing that all the way from fast food operations to retail. We're seeing it in food service. It's happening everywhere. The irony is in the past, many believed that that would be driven by government. Well, government's proven that they, uh, they can embrace it. In fact, there are those uh, that actually in government, as we know, that uh, want to poo-poo the discussion of climate change, while the vast majority of uh, the industry is uh, accepting that the climate is changing and that we have to do things differently. In fact, many farmers do things differently every year because the climate is different, as Chuck said earlier, to try to mitigate the effects of that drought midsummer and the heavy rain late September, early sep or late, late August, early September. So we're trying to do things, manage the system, manage climate change, but the private sector is driving it. Absolutely no question about it. In fact, uh, Chuck mentioned uh, fertilizer companies as well. It's amazing the number of sustainable fertilizer products that are coming to the market today. Uh, for example, one company I'm familiar with is using municipal waste as feedstock to create a fertilizer product that's used widely across the South and the Midwest uh, that is actually a very sustainable product, sequesters carbon, and actually adds organic matter back to the soil. There's several companies doing that. There's lots of technology moving that direction, and there's going to be more of it in the future. You know, another topic I know that's near and dear to both of you, and especially now given some of the real positive developments in the expansion of uh, pork processing, soybean processing, uh, cheese manufacturing uh, across Michigan in, in the last couple of years, but infrastructure. Um, Chuck, I know you're uh, particularly interested in broadband improvement, but of course there are bridges and roads and rails uh, that, that Jim and you have been talking about for a long time. Let's talk infrastructure for a moment. Yeah, sure thing. Well, I, I think you, you hit it uh, on the head. You know, we've seen an explosion in uh, food processing and uh, product processing in Michigan that adds value for farmers, creates jobs. It's good news for the ag economy. Uh, but if you can't move product from place to place and if you can't get it to end users, you're in trouble. And the economic benefits are muted or even non-existent in some cases. And that's why we continue to talk about infrastructure. As you mentioned, Kirk, this wasn't my idea. This is something the association's been talking about for years. Uh, roads, especially rural roads and bridges, rural highways, uh, are vastly underfunded and in many cases crumbling. It's a well-documented problem in the state. Uh, it's very important that we not lose sight of that, even with everything else going on, um, especially roads and bridges. Uh, Shortline railroads uh, have really worked hard to try to find partnerships with the agricultural industry and to lead. Uh, they've, they've been fantastic partners with agriculture to try to 
uh, sparked some infrastructure investment uh, on the rail network, which especially in Michigan is important because we're a peninsula. Uh, we rely on short lines uh, maybe a little bit more than some of our neighbors around the Midwest. Uh, and they would tell you, I think, up and down uh, infrastructure on, uh, on rail systems is important. And then, you know, broadband often doesn't get uh, looped in together with roads and, and, and rail, but I think it's really important to have this discussion. Uh, you know, I was driving through northern, the northern lower peninsula this uh, last week. And, you know, I think as anybody who's driven around that area knows you can have great service one second if you're moving through a, a town of any size and then lose it the next second. And, you know, while it's frustrating to drop a call, for example, because you don't have connectivity, uh, that has real commerce implications as well. Uh, we're in a crisis situation in rural America right now uh, where it's not just having dropped calls. It's families that don't have access to high-speed broadband to um, do remote school and remote work. Uh, it's businesses that aren't able to use some of that technology we just talked about a little while ago because they don't have uh, the infrastructure to hook up to a high-speed network. I don't have all the answers, but I do know it's an issue we need to, we need to solve. Um, our members uh, certainly talk about this um, you know, all the time. It's a priority for us to, to make sure we elevate broadband as a discussion because um, we need a better idea of where those shortfalls are around the countryside. And we need to figure out some way, uh, however it looks, to expand rural, rural high-speed broadband. It's, it's, uh, I think the COVID crisis has really amplified and put a spotlight, Kirk, on uh, these areas that just aren't connected. Uh, and it's a huge problem and it's, it's a huge barrier for the future of rural communities in Michigan and around the country. So expect us to keep talking about that the next few months. Uh, Jim Byram, agricultural consultant and past president of the Michigan Ag Business Association. Additional thoughts on infrastructure? Well, I think the last six months, as Chuck uh, kind of outlined, has uh, raised the issue of broadband from a luxury to a requirement. If one uh, considers going to school, remote learning, if one considers uh, trying to do things like we're doing right now, which we're doing remotely, um, all sorts of things that require broadband, require high speed, consistent, reliable broadband. If it doesn't exist, uh, uh, those folks uh, are out of business. Having to go to the local McDonald's to get uh, broadband to uh, go to school every day seems to be a, seems to be a stretch. So that one's certainly top of mind. Roads and bridges and short line railroads, Chuck, uh, covered uh, very, very well. Um, the one thing that I guess I mentioned is that the supply chain itself, uh, we have seen over the last six months has been horribly challenged. As we consider uh, Consider the, the number of trucks on the road, drivers that didn't want to drive, uh, drivers that weren't able to go to some areas. Uh, we've seen breakdowns, not necessarily in the ag supply chain. In fact, quite contrary in the ag supply chain at the farm level and first receiver level. But beyond that, from food processor to retail and even to food processor, uh, it's become a real challenge. And we've seen those, uh, those problems demonstrated every day in grocery stores. And that's, of course, a problem for us. But I think the one thing that we don't talk about that is really impacting supply chain, infrastructure, et cetera, is the changing dynamic that's, uh, that's come about in the last six months in, uh, in the whole marketplace. For example, vast percentage of uh, veal and lamb were eaten in restaurants. If restaurants aren't open, guess what? Those industries are in serious trouble. Um, food processors that targeted the uh, food service industry, if the restaurants aren't operating, they're not doing a lot of business. That's a problem as well. So we're seeing all sorts of things impact supply chain, 
including infrastructure, the availability of quick, just-in-time delivery, and for gosh sakes, the number of little gray vans driving all over the state of Michigan doing next-day delivery is changing how people buy, go to market, buy from the market, and everything that they do in daily life. All those infrastructure issues, all those supply chain issues uh, are something that's going to be with us for some time and something that has to be addressed. But we absolutely have to deal with broadband. There's no question about that. I'm talking with uh, Jim Byram and Chuck Lipstrew. Uh, Jim is an agricultural consultant, a past president of the Michigan Agribusiness Association. Uh, Chuck is the current president of the Michigan Agribusiness Association. Jim, let's keep it with you just for a sec, but you mentioned some of the, the impacts of, uh, on infrastructure of the, of the COVID situation. What are some of the other impacts of COVID uh, that COVID has had uh, on, I know workforce for one, for example, but other impacts COVID has had on agriculture that folks might not be aware of? Well, it's, it's interesting to look at the industry. The face-to-face meetings between farmer and customer to a large extent uh, may or may not be happening, depending on area, depending on company. But those face-to-face relationships have been absolutely critical in the past. They're not happening the way that they used to. And the next level up, the manufacturers, the basic manufacturers, those that produce the pesticides, seed, et cetera, that farmers use, uh, those companies have largely taken the tact that uh, they're not going to allow face-to-face meetings, or at least only in rare situations. A lot of the transactions that occur today, uh, whether it be agronomy sales, grain trade, whatever, all were trending toward being electronic. Um, In the last six months, they have moved that direction more rapidly than anyone could ever imagined. And that's going to continue to be in place, which brings back the point of, uh, of, uh, electronic or certainly the web-based businesses and being able to use web-based businesses for decisions, for information, and to uh, actually place orders and uh, do uh, commodity trades. There's going to be certainly may, many more uh, many more companies engaged in that space. We're seeing it all over the country. And there's going to be a lot of traditional existing companies that embrace uh, that space very aggressively. We're seeing Nutrien do that right now with their web-based business. We're seeing grain trade operations do the same. That's significant. Uh, we're also going to continue to see uh, those that are challenged economically. Um, the barrier to entry the barrier to entry of a new pesticide product, new seed variety, whatever it may be, is such these days that we're going to see more consolidation. Uh, We're going to see more folks focused on uh, fewer companies as suppliers. And as that happens, that again also continues to fundamentally change the business. Uh, Chuck Lipster, uh, other thoughts on COVID impact? Well, Jim just covered a a whole bunch of really important stuff and he's spot on on all of it. I would just highlight a couple things. Um, The first is this you know, the emergency has really highlighted um, for me uh, the the incredible organization in place at uh, our member companies, whether it's grain elevators or ag retailers, and the capacity they have to be adaptable uh, and to uh, kind of change up to, to deal with changing circumstances, whether it's, again, is the way they do business, as Jim mentioned, all the way to the safety protocols and the different things they had to get in place very quickly. Uh, to make sure they could continue to operate as essential businesses. And, and I'll tell you, um, our members did a great job uh, and have, have really focused on how they can stay safe, how they can constantly improve, and how they can continue to do business uh, in what is a really new circumstance for them. And the other thing I would say 
that nobody sees, uh, and you know, there's no reason you would, is the huge amount of work and interaction between departments of state government and our agriculture industry, whether it's inspectors or those who issue licenses for seasonal commercial drivers or those who are responsible for certifying pesticide applicators. There's all of these different things that we have a really strong relationship with our, our regulators and our state government here in Michigan. And, and what we've seen the last few months uh, is a lot of those sort of day-to-day -day services we all count on have been disrupted due to COVID-19. And one thing that has really impressed me, and I think uh, our members, if you had them on, uh, they'd tell you the same thing. Uh, state government at the line level has really stepped up to work together with agriculture to find different ways to get some of these things done, uh, even when it requires some more work and some creativity and some after hours. Uh, we've been really impressed with our departments of jurisdiction uh, to make sure that the that the business of agriculture, that commerce can continue uh, and isn't held up due to shutdowns or uh, the lack of, of critical state government services. Um, it's been a real success story, story for state government, something we appreciate. And I think that's shared across other sectors as well. Again, uh, Chuck, a uh, great segue into uh, my next to last question though. This, is, uh, this program is MSU Today, and you mentioned the importance of partnership and collaboration with state government. What about the role of Michigan State University in Michigan agriculture? Absolutely integral. And one of the things that's been very impressive since the beginning, especially of the COVID crisis, has been the level of communication from Michigan State. You know, uh, the university has had to make some really difficult decisions. I know that. And the only thing that uh, we can ask as those things happen is that, uh, you know, we and, and our members and others in the industry hear from the university and have a two-way dialogue. You know, I think the university has done everything they can to, to reach out and to have a, a strong dialogue uh, with industry. Again, even as they're making some difficult decisions and navigating, um, you know, a really tough budget environment. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's important to communicate. The university is, has really made an effort in that area. Um, you know, and they've, they've done, uh, they're doing a great job uh, under really unenviable circumstances and a lot of challenges. Uh, Jim, you've uh, worked with Michigan State, uh, you know, well before the 25 years even that you are at MABA, but thoughts about MSU's importance or role in uh, the state's ag? Well, I think, uh, I think the leadership of Michigan State University during the whole pandemic has been absolutely critical, not just to the state of Michigan, but to the agricultural industry and citizens at large. I think uh, the irony of having a, uh, an infectious disease doc as uh, the new president, Dr. Stanley, uh, has actually fared, uh, has been very solid for the university, providing guidance and leadership early on saying, look, we're not going to do face-to-face -face classes. We're going to shut down uh, certain situations. We're going to eliminate a lot of these face-to-face -face possible large exposure uh, uh, situations. I think an awful lot of the uh, state of Michigan and agriculture has followed the lead of the university. And, and again, I commend them for that. From the ag standpoint, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's from time to time, folks get a little frustrated with Michigan State because maybe they're doing research on things that they don't, uh, they can't adapt immediately. That's not going to be in the field tomorrow or next year or the year after. But Michigan State and some of the work they've done on virtually everything that is happening today, from biotechnology, gene editing, 
all sorts of things that we talk about uh, on a day-to-day basis. A lot of that basic research happened in the labs at Michigan State University. And while uh, some may lament some of the programs that are going away, perhaps a breed of beef cattle that isn't there anymore, if one looks at how the industry changes, it's better to be looking at tomorrow, better be thinking about where the puck is going to be rather than chasing where the puck has been for the last two or three decades. And Michigan State probably today is in a better position to do that than they've ever been. And actually, in this whole pandemic situation, they've been a, a model for the country to follow in many cases. Well, our time is, uh, is, is growing a little bit short, but uh, I would be remiss if I didn't give each of you an opportunity Uh, I mean, what messages, and and Jim, we'll start with you and finish up with Chuck, but uh, what messages uh, for listeners out there regarding Michigan agriculture, agriculture in general? I mean, most of us are aware it's been pretty tough on the farm economically with commodity prices uh, well before the pandemic, but uh, you both are optimists. Uh, Jim, what do you want folks to to take away from from this conversation? I think think as I look, I I break it up into two different segments. First segment is going to be short-term and then long-term. I think the short-term situation is farmers and agricultural uh, folks involved in agriculture need to make sure you work closely with your bankers. Make sure you work closely with them. Make sure you're talking to them. Make sure they know your situation. Make sure that you work very closely with those that you interact with in terms of supply or selling, whether it's the agronomy supply side, seed supply, or even moving grain or other commodities, livestock or livestock products. It's important that that communication be solid, be consistent, be reliable, and be honest because uh, we're in very uncertain times. Finally, in terms of short-term, maximize profit, optimize the use of resources, and look to make as much productivity for every barn or every acre that you're farming. Long-term, I think it's gonna be uh, very important for farmers to look at where they wanna be, what kind of crops they wanna grow, what kind of things they wanna be producing, and what kind of markets they have. Because as I said a bit earlier in this whole sustainability discussion, there's there's companies that will buy certain kinds of uh, products produced in a certain way. They're not telling farmers how to farm, they're just telling farmers, this is what we wanna buy. And I think it's important farmers look at that more and more, especially as we look at some of the challenges long term with liquid motor fuels, ethanol, if you will, the electronic vehicle discussions, uh, whether it's Tesla, Nikola, whoever it is, those uh, those uh, vehicles are not going to go away. And long term, that's going to dramatically impact the need for liquid motor fuels, in particular ethanol. So farmers need to think beyond the next five or 10 years when they start planning what they want to do and what legacy they want to pass on to their successors. Chuck Lipster, the final word is yours. Well, first of all, all good advice as usual from Mr. Byram. Um, yeah, I would underscore for everybody in the industry, you can't over communicate right now uh, at a time where we're all dealing with an ongoing crisis. Uh, it's very important to, as Jim mentioned, talk to those you work with and maybe do it a little bit more than you normally would. And I won't reiterate everything Jim just said. It was spot on, but you really can't over communicate right now. The other thing I would I would emphasize as we close is that we're going to continue to to highlight some of those longer term issues and how Michigan agriculture can lead. You know, Michigan can be really proud to have an ag sector that's progressive and forward looking. And I think as some of these discussions continue at the state and federal levels on the issues we've talked about today, whether that's how we can invest in infrastructure, how we can 
uh, give farmers and ag retailers uh, ways to participate in the climate change discussion, deliver solutions, how we talk about ag technology, uh, the push for rural broadband, all of those different things. I think it's important to understand people look to Michigan agriculture to lead because we have a reputation here for being progressive and forward looking, and that's going to continue. And, and the association will do everything we can to facilitate that um, here as we head into 2021, continue to navigate COVID, but also refocus on some of those big future issues facing the industry. Well, uh, talking with two great leaders of the Michigan agricultural industry, it's always a pleasure. My guests have been Jim Byram, past president of the Michigan Agribusiness Association, currently involved in consulting and uh, family businesses. Chuck Lipstrew uh, became president of MABA in January and is off and running with uh, a lot on his plate. Uh, Jim and Chuck, thanks to both of you for taking the time to share some of your thoughts with our listeners. This is Kirk Heinze for MSU Today.